I did something stupid. I launched this podcast after a year of work on the day that I moved to my new home. If I sound a little different, that's why. I recorded the first episode in one house with half of my stuff in boxes, and I'm recording this episode in a different house with half my stuff in boxes. I had to go digging through them all just to find this mic, which I foolishly packed away separate from the rest of my gear. What you are hearing in the background right now is me and my wife painting. We are newlyweds, not even six months into our marriage. We're first-time homeowners. For the first time in our life, we can paint these walls whatever we want. Now, I swear I didn't plan this, but we painted our living room a new green, set against the deep, deep yellow of those who lived here before us. That's how the next track on the bear starts putting a new green against a deep yellow. But this simple action takes on different tones depending on where you're at in life. In this episode, we'll be covering the track New Green and the complicated yet loving memories that fuel it. Then we'll dive deeper into the relationship of memory and music with the help of our guests and one film that shaped the bear's sonic landscape while mirroring its themes. From Newton's Dark Room, this is The Song Is Never Done. Before we get into any of that, there is actually one other song that we should discuss. You see, New Green is not the second track on the album. It is preceded by a 35-second instrumental called First Voices. If Hunters in the Snow was our opening scene, then First Voices is what plays under the opening credit sequence before we get into the meat of the movie. Walt is a very autobiographical lyricist. He is often writing, quite literally and with a lot of detail, about his life. We see this a lot in his past work, like in the song, I Went on a Solo Australian Tour. On a plane from Melbourne to Brisbane Did you get some sleep there? No, because I was surrounded by 30 12-year-old girls from the Queensland gymnastics team. What were they up to? Little ones next to me were laughing and whispering too. Hunters in the Snow doesn't have this same level of specificity. You can't really place Walt in the space the same way you can on some of his other tracks. There's not a moment that feels like, oh, Walt has lived through this exact moment. I'd say every other song on the record has a point like that though there is still a layer of abstraction more present than in his past music, a concept we'll explore later this episode. As such, First Voices serves as a transition. 
something that moves from the tales of hunters in the snow into the reality of New Green. From a pure sequencing perspective, the choice is a bit odd. There's a reason not many albums you hear start with a short instrumental song. The first tracks of an album are valuable real estate, often reserved for the punchy singles. But Walt has a good reason for making this choice. You know, I just kind of wanted to make it clear that, like, that you, if you, that you should get comfortable and that, like, not, not much is going to happen. Like, there's no, there are not going to be any real fireworks. Like, the, I just wanted to have the second song be just a nice little instrumental, you know? I, I thought it just set the tone of, like, we're taking our time here, like, have a seat and let's just relax. So, now that we're relaxed... Now that we know there's no thrasher of a song coming down the line, let's sit and explore track number three, New Green. Despite the transitory instrumental song, New Green starts where Hunters in the Snow left off. If you remember, the last stanza of Hunters in the Snow talks of the snow melting, the cycle beginning again, and new leaf springing up from it a new green set against the backdrop of the previous season. I was putting the new green beside a deep, deep yellow. A deep, deep yellow I'd mixed up all night before. As he is painting, his memory leaks into the scene. He sees a younger version of his brother, and the yellow reminds him of his childhood and his sister's room. To my surprise, through squinted eyes, I saw my brother there, and he was 25. So I'll do one for him. I want to go home too. The yellow is the yellow of our sister's room. The key word here that pulls it all together for me is to, T-O-O, as in also. I want to go home too. There is a longing here for something that can't fully be attained. As time moves along, as you journey through those seasons and cycles that we discussed last episode, you simultaneously leave them behind. And that can be hard. I'm sure a lot of us have a time we wish we could go back to. Maybe it's our childhood where parents bandage a scraped knee and make us lunch before we go play another round of tag. Maybe it's our young adulthood where we start to really understand our parents and the world is still an endless sea of possibility. As we move through those times, it can be hard to acknowledge that we're slowly transforming them into nothing more than memories. Life goes on, and I, Walter is extremely conscious of the passage of time. Walter's mom again. I really think a lot of his work is about the memories of and the longing for that childhood. In the next stanza, those visions of the past fade back into memories leaving Walt alone in the room. But in the sober winter morning, I have an old man's eyes, and there's no surprises left. Walt is left in the sober, cold reality 
of a winter morning. I think it's a bit harsh to say that there are no surprises left. Walt is someone who is particularly good at finding surprises and magic in the world around him. But that doesn't mean that life is limitless either. As you get older and take on different responsibilities, marriage, building a home, raising kids, you put yourself in a position where people are depending on you. You can't just roll with any surprise life throws your way. Your options are a little more limited. And this goes not just for you, but all the people that you love and interact with. Each one of them has their own life circumstances that limit the decisions they can make. When all of that is taken into account, the possibilities feel much more finite. You can pretty easily see the different ways things can play out. Who will say what? Who will do what? Where will people go? Those options aren't always what we pictured before we had an old man's eyes. And the news. This ain't how I wanted things to be. While the first verse explores his memory, the second takes us to the present day, where things are complicated. Just like the snow from the first track, here, nature contains both beauty and hardship. So I keep the mistakes, and I find my own place. In the corner there's a snake, but I killed it with a rake. And the blood is the color, so rich and so deep. Like a purple sky wrapped around a big old tree. He has an empathy and a respect for sort of the natural world and, 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 and our place in it. Matt Berninger. Even when, you know, he, if he kills a snake in his house, he does, he contemplates sort of like um, the melancholy of that and the sadness of that and how that's connected to everything in, in his whole life and his family. And he can, he, can, he can weave all that together. In the context of Walt's work, killing a snake is shocking. Walt often uses animals in his work. After all, the album is called The Bear. And he wrote a whole song about snakes on his very first children's record. It's one of my favorite kid songs, and it doesn't paint snakes as scary at all. It is fun, silly, light. Rattlesnakes We got musical tales that we shake We shake, shake, shake them while you clap your hands We don't want to bite you all we really want to do is snakes don't understand. But in New Green, he kills the snake. It bleeds. There was a snake in the corner of his room. He couldn't have a snake there, so it was taken care of. Living in the wilderness most of my life, I have seen this play out countless times. But that doesn't make it any easier. It's just an unfortunate thing that needs to get done. Like he mentions in the first line of this stanza, he keeps the mistakes and he carries on. The snake here is a difficult thing to take care of. And 
elephant in the room to mix metaphors. But once you address it, once you do what needs to be done, you can find peace. And in that is beauty and stability. The blood of the snake turns into a deep, beautiful sunset surrounding a sturdy tree. This snake, taking care of difficult situations, reminds me a lot of the kind of positions one can find themselves in with their family. A lot of us have a snake in the room, that item we'd love to take care of and get over with. You know, it's just, people get older and it gets complicated. And and I think, I think that song is just sort of me trying to talk about the 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 love or whatever at, at the at the core of it you know and there's plenty of regret and plenty of like well fucking hell this is just the way that it is but you know i it's it's i yeah to me that's a very very pure love-filled somewhat sad song that doesn't take away from the love that is there but it can break a heart and i want to tell him but he's not listening Just don't tell no one, my heart is broken too I just hide it in my shoe a better than you I, You know, we have a very complicated, as everybody does, and loving family, I think. And I, I honestly think I could safely say that all three of our kids, and I know my husband and I would say that growing up all together was just a wonderful experience. And I think we all hold that time very closely. That said, each family member is highly opinionated, noisy about it generally, and kind of get into it sometimes as family members. But the love is the pervasive thing. You know, I, the, 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 the fantasy of having this wonderful, perfect family is is, is is kind of a fantasy, you know, and though there's so much love, there are also uh, so much difficulty. And I guess it's a, the sadder side of love, uh, an outpouring of that for, for, my, for my family. I don't know the specifics, nor do I need to. I can think of my own conversations, the ones I maybe wished were handled a little differently, the ones that break your heart the ones that you tuck away deep into your shoe. It can be hard to rectify those feelings alone. Sometimes we just want someone who's been through the same thing to look us in the eyes, tell us to be wise. The last verse becomes a young boy looking for advice. This situation, navigating family and relationships, it doesn't get any easier. Even as an adult, you can feel like a young kid just needing some advice from your dad. Young boy, be wise. I see your father in your eyes. And no matter how hard I try, he'll always be a better man than I. Yes, he will always be a better man than I. 
I really loved the part of the party made me cry. And um, New Green, where he sort of ha does a hats off to my husband. He'll always be a better man than I. Just the respect and the dignity that he gives to him. The credit for being that guy. We look up to our parental figures. Those who offered us kindness and guidance when we made mistakes. But we don't always see the struggles that they endured. The hard decisions they had to make. They hide it in their shoe. I say this not to take away from the respect we show these figures, more to highlight the absurdity of this threshold. When, if ever, do you stop being a son? When do you know it all? When do you become that better man? I don't think anyone feels that they themselves have achieved that. But there's almost always someone who thinks that you have and that's the important part, that you have been able to provide security, love, and compassion to the point where someone is convinced that you figured it all out. Whenever I'm listening to his records, I feel like he's, he's, he's talking about these, these broad, more than, more than just sort of contemporary issues, but just these, these issues that are so universal about our generations and, and what we learn from our grandparents and our parents and, and how we, 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 we figure out how to package everything we've learned and, and make something out of all that so that our kids can chew on that and, 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 and make their own stuff. New Green takes us into the world of memories and recollection something that can feel so specific at times and so vague at others. There is a certain level of abstraction happening on the bear. As discussed at the top of the episode, Walt has a history of incredibly specific and detail-oriented lyrics, but this album is different. While it still feels specific and honest, it's more of an emotional honesty. To help us explore that idea is musician and composer Emile Museri, who plays that effervescent piano across the bear. I uh, actually first met Walt in 2009 or 2010. Um, I was in a band at the time called The Dig, and we, we opened up for The Walkman. I remember when we, we met this booking agent, this guy named Kevin French, and he was like, if you sign with me, you get to open up for the Walkman. We were like, oh, done deal. Sign us up. Walt found his way back to Emil through his score on the 2020 film Minari, which won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and had five other Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Score, composed by Emil. My wife and I had heard that it was wonderful, and so we sat down and watched it. Um, and you know, it was one of those things where right when it starts, I'm like, holy shit, like that music is, I, I don't know how you can tell, but I remember the first chord hearing that sound and I was like, oh, oh, wow, I'm in good hands here. This is really something. Inspired by the music, Walt reached out. I was like, what, what, wouldn't it be wonderful if Emil played piano on it because his piano playing is so beautiful and he lives in California, he lives in LA and I was about to go out there and record. So I just wrote him, you know, just on a whim and he's like, totally, I'd love to. If you've seen Minari, it's no wonder the film resonated with Walt. It tells the story of a family of Korean immigrants as they moved to Arkansas to start a farm. 
The father is optimistic and determined to make it work despite the many challenges the family faces after uprooting their lives to live on what starts as an empty plot of land. The film explores much of this through the character of David, the youngest child of the family who has a severe heart issue, another stress exacerbated by the farm life. The film has that kind of fog that comes from flipping through a faded photo book, in large part because the film originated from the filmmaker's own childhood memories. One day, writer and director Lee Isaac Chung went to the library and started jotting down memories of his life growing up in rural Arkansas. In an interview with NPR, he said, quote, I didn't set out to just write 50 memories, but that's how many just flowed out of me in one session. These were little visual memories, little details. We see these same kinds of details and memories littered throughout the bear, though at times they are slightly refracted. A memory is something that's not really honest. It's hard to describe. Like, it's honest and it's emotionally honest, but a memory is something that, like especially childhood memory, you're dealing with something that's very, very emotionally driven. This emotionally true yet obscured approach is a helpful tool for an artist when tackling the nuanced, complicated, and emotionally charged conflicts we find ourselves involved in with family. When talking with friends or family or loved ones or anybody about like important like issues of the heart or things that you think about it privately or, or feelings that you have about like whatever, your family or your future or your past or like people who've died or like, or any, I don't know, things like that, issues like that. I don't think I'm very good at talking about it. The nostalgia without being sentimental and goopy, a a hallmark of who he is. And he does in many of the songs in the bear make reference to, you know, specific things in his life that have happened and that he's still making sense of. I, I think that I, I, I do have a lot of feelings about those kinds of things. And I think that in doing the music, somehow, I don't know why, it's a weird thing. Like when you have guitar chords underneath it or piano that somehow adds some mystery to it, it allows me to say things in a way that where I, when I listen back, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's exactly, or that captures how I feel about that specific thing, even though it's a little maybe abstract how I'm saying it or something there, but there's a feeling that gets captured there. Walt doesn't necessarily go into songwriting with any kind of specific goal. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think in those terms when I'm like, well, that's why I need to do this. But nonetheless, he's developed this talent for emotionally honest songwriting, able to share and process those feelings in a way that helps us all to do the same. Honestly, when I listened to it, I've I felt like I singer songwriter Cat Edmondson. He le- he like left the door open to his house and was and like kind of suggested like you can go inside but he's not home and I'm just like poking around in his things you know I feel like I'm looking through his photo albums and his journals and his old high school prizes and and I I feel like I'm just looking at all these knickknacks and tchotchkes and and learning about who he is and I find that he's very generous in that way you know this is this is an offering that's like it, it was never created to um, 
to impress, it just feels like here it is. You're asking if, if it's earnest. I felt like it was just incredibly honest. Next episode, we'll be continuing our journey into Walt's open, knickknack-filled home as we cover the first track written for the album, and we see firsthand how these keepsakes from the past can be a catalyst for our future. The Song Is Never Done is a production of Newton's Dark Room. It was written, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Talon Stradley. The cover art was created by your brother and mine, Trent Stradley. All the music you heard is by Walter Martin. You can purchase The Bear and all his other albums at waltermartinmusic.com. Might I suggest The World at Night, a beautifully orchestrated album that floats you through the dreamlike world of loved ones who have impacted us. All that and more at waltermartinmusic.com. Special thanks to this episode's guests, Judy Martin, Emil Museri, Matt Berninger, and Kat Edmondson, as well as all of my supporters on Patreon, Fuzzy Delp and Sunny Warner. If you want your name in the credits, plus buttons, special transcripts, and more, support Newton's Dark Room on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash newtonsdarkroom to find out more. I make lots of podcasts, and I love talking about podcasts as well as the emotional knickknacks we keep in our homes. If you want to chat about any of this, you can find me at newtonsdarkroom.com on Instagram and TikTok. For all my podcasts and everything else, you can visit newtonsdarkroom.com. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time.